The text we want to give a few moments to uh, sink into our hearts, give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to teach and to encourage us, uh, is found in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Let's be standing as we hear this, the gospel, the words of Jesus, the word of God. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. May God bless the reading of his word. I don't know if you're aware or not, but most sermons are written backwards. Uh, you usually spend time reading the text, studying it, deciding what it is that you would like to bring from that text that particular Sunday morning. And once you've decided where you're going, and then you start working backwards to get there. So actually, the last thing I decide to say is the first thing I say. Isn't this fascinating? And, and I tell you that because I kind of like to come up with ways to get into sermons that, that maybe make you scratch your head a little bit and say, where is he going with that? I, I don't know if I succeed in it, but it's a little game that I play and I find some joy in it to try to find some way to, to make you think, okay, I may listen to this. Well, when I got to that point today, I uh, for the sermon today, I was sitting there thinking, you know, for one thing, I don't know how much time I've got because we've got a lot going on. But also, this particular text is not one that's easy to play around with much because it's pretty stark, isn't it? It's a kind of in-your-face text. It's a text that deals with hard reality. It's one that kind of comes up and instead of enticing you to listen to, kind of slaps you in the face. And so I thought, well, instead of doing that, let's just jump in and go and see what happens. Jesus is dealing with hard realities. We've had a lot of hard realities facing our world right now. It just seems like over the past few months, a lot of bad things have happened. And like the earthquake, first of all, in, in Haiti. And I remember hearing that for the first time as I was driving down the street and listening to the news and thought, oh, wow, Haiti. Knowing that any kind of earthquake in Haiti, especially one of that strength, was going to cause untold devastation and, un and, and just immense loss of life, and it did. 
And the question always comes up in your mind, why? Why did that have to happen? Why did that happen to those people who were so poor and already in such distress? Why did something like that have to happen? And questions, are, you know, have answers. There's a lot of answers came out after that. And one in particular you probably heard. It was really played up on the news a lot. The evangelist Pat Robertson had an answer as to why Haiti got hit with a great earthquake like that. Because they had made a pact with the devil. Centuries ago or years ago, whenever they were under French rule, they had made a pact with the devil that if the devil would help them get out from under the French, then they would serve him. And now they were paying the price. Well, I don't know if that satisfies your curiosity or not. What about Chile? Here, here's a, a nation that we, at least most of us, don't know a lot about but gets hit by one of the, the, the strongest earthquakes that's ever been measured since we've developed instruments and a scale to measure earthquakes. What's up with that? Why did that have to happen? And, and so soon after the one that all the world has already rushed to the aid of, and why is this one going on? What's, what's the deal with that? Well, if you're an Internet person, there's been a lot of chatter on the Internet. And the dominant theory right now that I've picked up on as to why an earthquake hit Chile is because the United States has developed a new, mass, uh, a new weapon of mass destruction and we're testing it. And, and we're causing these earthquakes and we're doing it very strategically because we're after oil and we're after domination in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, Google HARP, H-A-A-R-P, and you can find out all about what we're doing. It's located up in, Afri uh, up in Africa, up in Alaska, and someone even has a home video of the thing going off, okay? So now we know why we have all these earthquakes going on. Don't you just love good conspiracy theories? Uh, seems like enough people do that they really stay out there and, and thrive, don't they? But it's nothing new. It happened back in Jesus' days too. Anytime something really bad happened, people began talking about why is this? Why did this happen? And they came up with all kinds of ideas about why it happened here, why it happened to these people, what's going on. In the text that we read, some people came to Jesus and told him about an event that evidently had just occurred. It's the only, uh, only description of that event we have is what I just read to you. It's, it's not in any history books anywhere. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. But it, it, somehow some Galilean people were evidently down in Jerusalem because that's where you offered sacrifices and that's where Pilate was located. They had come to Jerusalem to the temple to offer sacrifices and something had happened. We don't know if there was, there was some kind of disturbance, some kind of riot. We don't know if Pilate just got up in a bad mood that day. We don't know what happened. But evidently, Pilate's military police had gone into the temple and had, had, had killed several of these Galileans as they were there to offer their sacrifices. And the Jewish people were outraged by that and seeking to find some kind of answer for why people going to church would get killed like that. Well, it's obvious from their bringing it up to Jesus, 
and also from Jesus' response that the answer they had come up with was they must have deserved it. You know, they had done something. Sort of like Job's friends, if you know the story of the book of Job. And when Job was going through his suffering and his friends kept telling him, well, we thought you were a good guy, but we didn't know what you were doing late at night, you know, when you were all at home. You were doing something that wasn't, wasn't good, and therefore that's why God's getting you. Well, that seems to be our stock answer to stuff like this is, well, somehow these folks must have deserved it. Jesus, on the other hand, doesn't agree. That's not the answer that he has to give to the situation. In fact, before he even really gives an answer, he brings up another incident that had just occurred. We don't know about what that was about either, I mean, other than what Jesus says here, but evidently 18 people got killed in Jerusalem, probably somewhat recent to to the events that we're talking about, when they were just evidently walking down the street, maybe standing outside a building talking, and the building just collapsed on them. And he asked the question, why these people? Why did it happen to them? How many hundreds of people walk by that building every day? But it was these are the ones who were standing there, who were walking by when that building collapsed. And he deals with the assumption that his audience has at that time is that, well, again, they must have deserved it. To which Jesus replies, no. In fact, he goes on to say, they didn't deserve it any more than you deserve it. That all of us don't deserve what we have. And all of us would deserve any tragedy that might occur in our lives. What Jesus does here is uses this as an opportunity to talk about reality. And to present to the people of his day, and therefore to the people of all days, the idea that there are realities in life that we must come to accept and work our lives into and around. It's a definition of sanity, isn't it? To come up with what's real And to say, you know, this is what is real, therefore I'm going to have to live with that reality in mind and I'm going to have to shape my life around this reality because the reality is not going to change. Have you ever known someone that lives in a fantasy world where they deny what the reality is? Or they've created their own reality out there of of who they are and, and what they want to be and what they want to do and... They keep running into the harsh reality and not knowing what to do with it. Way back in 1926, a great theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, wrote a little prayer. And that prayer has been picked up by a lot of the 12-step programs because many people in 12-step programs have had to deal a lot with reality. They may have lived for years with the fantasy that they could abuse their bodies, that they could just sort of check out on life and and life would turn out the way they wanted it to. But the reality of the substance abuse keeps hitting them in the face and hitting them in the face and their lives keep getting torn apart until they finally have to come to the realization that reality is that if I do this, this is what's going to happen. So they've adopted this little prayer, and they've called it the serenity prayer. You know it. It begins like this. 
God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. God, give me the serenity to realize what reality is and to live within that reality. Courage to change the things I can, but the wisdom then to know the difference. Now, what you may not know is that wasn't the whole prayer. That's just the opening part of Niebuhr's prayer, but that's the part that's been taken and learned by so many people. I want to read one more little passage from that. It says, taking life as he did, taking it, taking this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it be. Let me read that again. I kind of stumbled over that. Taking as he did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it be. Somewhere along the way, we just got to realize the way things are. We can wish with all of our might, I wish I may, I wish I might, that it wasn't this way. That doesn't change the way it is. Here is the way it is. And Jesus took the opportunity as he's talking there in Jerusalem to put this in front of people and saying, you've got to believe this. You've got to accept this. You've got to live your lives around these realities. The two realities he kind of brings up there in this section are these. Number one reality, there are people in this world that are evil. There are people in this world that don't believe in the standards of behavior that we believe in. They don't accept God as God. They don't accept his, his uh, uh, traits and characteristics as the norm for behavior. They don't believe in a God of love. They believe in aggression. They believe in achieving all you can. They believe in power. They believe in a lot of different things, and therefore they act that way, and therefore their actions are evil, like Pilate. And I don't know what was motivating Pilate that day to do a terrible deed of killing some people who were there to worship God, but he did it. And there have been a lot of people through history that would have done the same thing and did do the same thing and did do things that were much worse than that. And if we want to pretend that we live in a world where everybody's kind and good, well, you're going to pretend and that's all you're going to do. Because there are people in this world that are not kind. There are people in this world that are not good. And even though you may try to be the best person you can be, you may end up suffering from the evil that abides in others. And even though you may try to live your life as as good as you can, some people around you may make terrible decisions, and their evil may make your life difficult. And their evil may even come to end your life prematurely. And that's a reality. Another reality that Jesus seems to address at this point, too, is that there are natural disasters. That, that this world, the way it's been made, there's gravity, for example. And gravity will not be defeated. And if someone builds a building that isn't built up to the standards, to stand, someday it's going to fall. And this, this earth is constructed to where there are plates that move in the earth. And those plates are going to continue to move as long as this earth is around. And, and the way that the atmosphere has been made and the way, the way it sustains itself, there are going to be hurricanes and there are going to be tornadoes. Now, you can close your eyes and wish that didn't happen, but it does. It's reality. Part of living around that reality 
is maybe trying to live in a way that includes that reality. I know that every time we have a great tornado, some people shake their heads and say, why would those people go back and build right on the coast when they know another one's coming? Well, you have to ask them that. I don't know. (laughs) But they have to deal with the reality that it will happen. And it'll happen again. And it'll happen again. So those are two of the realities that Jesus points out. Let me point out one more as we close. Jesus also brings up the reality of the kingdom of God. He does it in this little parable that he told about the man who has the vineyard and where the tree is planted in the vineyard. And the way he tells the parable is that God has planted a vineyard in this world as well, that he has established his kingdom in this world, and it is as much of a reality as any of the other realities around us. And we can choose to live in that reality or pretend that it doesn't exist. We can choose that to live with the reality that God's kingdom is here and it's here to stay and it's going to stay forever. And therefore we can shape our lives in order that we are a part of that kingdom. Now the way the parable's told, it's about a tree that doesn't quite get it in the vineyard, does it? And it's not productive. And of God's mercy and grace and doing everything that he can to get this tree to become productive. And his great desire not, not to have to tear it down. You know, you have key moments in your life that you keep going back to. And I think I've shared this one with you before, but it happened to me back when I was a youth minister. And uh, you would think by the time I was a youth minister, I would be a mature Christian. (laughs) Didn't happen with me. (laughs) Hadn't still fully happened yet. Still have these times where you sort of realize that you weren't quite getting it before. But I remember sitting around in my living room with a bunch of kids, and we were having a time of prayer. And and one young man was praying fervently, and it, it was a good prayer. And I love this young man. He's a great Christian man to this day. And, but he was praying fervently that God would help us to be better Christians. That God would help us to really repent and to love him more. And boom, out of the blue, as I sat there with my eyes closed, I thought, what more can God do for you, Tommy? My goodness. He put you in a Christian home. He puts you in a wonderful church family. You have copies of his word lying in every room in the house. You know how to read. You've got time to sit around and read. You're not out slaving in the fields all day and falling into bed at night exhausted. What more does he have to do to give me opportunity to be productive? Jesus looked at the people asking him these what-if questions and said, you know, God has been merciful to you. God has brought you to this point in your life. God has given you every opportunity to embrace the reality of his kingdom. And unless you repent, then you're going to run into the other realities, the reality of destruction, the reality of death, the reality 
of waiting too long until it's over. When these people were asking Jesus why these people suffered such an end, he reminded them that every breath they take is by the grace of God. And the fact that they have endured this long is only by his mercy. But if they are not productive people living in the reality of God's world and God's kingdom, it was time right then, not tomorrow, not next year, but right then to repent. We're going to stand here and we're going to sing a song together. And as we sing this song, some of our church leaders will go to the sides and to the back of this auditorium. And I don't know what needs you might have in your life. Maybe you have not been living in the reality of the kingdom of God. Maybe you've been trying to live with a false reality that things are just going to go on and on and on. And you're going to have all kinds of time to get your life in order. If you want to repent of that kind of attitude. Or perhaps you yourself are suffering from some illness. You've got a family member that's suffering in some way that you want prayers for. This is a great opportunity to have these godly people pray with you and for you. Let's stand and sing.